Hi, everyone. It's Seth Rudetsky. Welcome to Back to School. Today, I have the great Rosie O'Donnell, who actually I worked for. I was her comedy writer on the Rosie O'Donnell show, so I've known her for years. However, I did not know her in high school, but we did have similar childhoods in a sense. We both grew up on Long Island, and she grew up not wealthy at all. I did not have money either, and I felt more poor because my neighborhood was really wealthy. It was a combination of not really having that much money plus, like, my father's signature cheapness. He was very into, like, makeshift things, like, why buy it when you can make it? And I remember numerous times I'd be like, Daddy, I want to keep a diary. And he would go, great, get some piece of the paper and staple them together. (laughs) Why is that a diary? It's so depressing. It was a combination of cheapness and being so behind the times technology-wise. Like, we always had a rotary phone. Like, well into the 90s, we had rotary phones. We never had an answering machine that was, like, way too, like, technologically advanced for us. We beyond did not have a VCR. Well, not a Betamax, for sure. That was the 70s. But we didn't have a VCR in the 80s. The way I would tape a TV show in my house, I'd watch the TV show, sit in front of it with a tape recorder. So I was, quote-unquote, taping it, but there was no image. So I would hold up the tape recorder and tape the TV show that way. And the final thing I want to just call my mother out also, it's always so hard to find me pants because I was overweight. I always had to get husky pants. But because my waist size was basically the waist size for like a grown man, the pants were always way too long. And I think my mother didn't really know how to sew. Plus, she never heard of tailors. So I would go to school with my pants hemmed. And the hemming process was folding them under and taping them with masking tape. And by the way, of course, signature my mother to this day, that never happened. A hundred percent it happened. And you can ask my sister, I'm going to bring my sister Nancy on the show, constantly taping on my pants with actual masking tape. All right. Stay tuned for some Back to School with the fabulous Rosie O'Donnell. And by the way, we're going to look at some pictures from Rosie O'Donnell's yearbook. Stay tuned. Dreading morning classes. Stealing bathroom passes. Football. Drivers and SATs. Bullies that attack me. Why do I have that? Rosie O'Donnell. I am sitting here with movie star, TV star, talk show host, best-selling author, good pal, Rosie O'Donnell. Hi, Seth. Hi, Rosie. It's all about high school. So let's go back. Where did you go to high school? When did you graduate? Comac High School South, and we were the class of 1980. Okay, let me ask you this. What was your expectation of high school? Like, before you began high school, what did you think it was going to be like, and what was it based on? Mine was Archie Comics. What was yours based on? Probably Grease, you know? I I wasn't really, you know, my mother had died when I was in fifth grade, so then the big thing was going to junior high, where... Nobody knew that my mom had died. So that was like my big thing. Oh, my God, what if the teachers, and sure enough, the first week one of the teachers said, you know, uh, where's your mother? I'm going to tell her you didn't do your homework. And I was like, you know, ran and hid in the woods and, you know, made a big scene out of it. Uh, It actually really did happen? Really did. Uh. And so then going to high school, I was really kind of nervous. I didn't know what to expect. I was very worried about drugs. I kept hearing there were pushers in high school. Who'd you hear that from? I don't know. I Starsky and Hutch, I think. Say Kojak? Okay. Yeah, it could have been Kojak. <laughs> One of those shows, I was really worried about that it would be scary in high school, but it wasn't at all. Give me a typical day in high school, starting with who even woke you up? Nobody woke me up. We had to wake ourselves up. Clock radio buzzer? Uh, yeah, or my brothers yelling and screaming because we're all one year apart, one grade apart. 
We didn't have, you know, a mom there, and my dad was gone at work, and we had my nana who was kind of old and not able to cook or anything. She just would come down and be a presence in the house, which was a lot when, you know, you didn't have any parents there. So it was a big benefit to have Nana there. And um, we would take the car, the Plymouth Volare. Volare. Wait, back to breakfast. Hold on. No breakfast in the house? No breakfast. Maybe cereal, but that was it. We did the food shopping, too. The kids? The kids. Since my father would give us money, and then we would go do the food shopping. And so you would have all crap, you know, like fluff or nutter and all the stuff. And we'd get to um, a certain amount of food on the cart, and we'd say subtotal. And the lady would go $79. I'm like, all right. So then we'd put some more things on until we got close to $100. And then, of course, what would we put back first? Steak, meat. <laughs> expensive, heavy, hard to carry. It was not a well-provisioned home. And interestingly enough, I find it hard now to keep my kitchen here stocked in the right way. My therapist says, this is so your childhood. Recreating. <laughs> Recreating a childhood. Yeah. Okay, so wait, so no breakfast and you get into your volare and who drives you to school? Eddie. The brother. Yeah, so we all drove there and then we would drive back for lunch to give my grandmother lunch. So we were allowed to leave school and then go back to school. So you didn't have the fun lunchroom hangout with your friends time in high school? No, I didn't really. That's funny. I never really thought about that. But I never did. We went home to feed my Nana. And when you say feed her, because she just couldn't really make food for herself? No, she couldn't really see, you know, very well. We'd come down the stairs and she'd go, Danny, Eddie, Maureen, Tim, <laughs> oh, Roseanne, oh. Okay. She couldn't tell who was who. She sometimes would empty the dishwasher, but she was not like a functional grandmother. She was never really out of the house. She'd go onto the porch for getting some sun. And when like the electricity would go off on our side of the street and not the neighbors, we would carry her over to the neighbor's house in a chair because they had the heat in the winter. What side Nana was she, your father's? She was my mom's mom. So my mom had died and she was still there. Okay, so wait, so now what about after-school stuff? Did you stay at high school and do a lot of after-school activities yes. normally? Like what? Everything that I could do. I played every sport, and I did the plays whenever I could. Always auditioned, trying to get a big part. Usually got the funny sidekick role, which I was just as thrilled. We did this thing called Senior Follies, which I did since I was a freshman, because mm -hmm. I would write the scripts based on Saturday Night Live. I would totally rip them off and put the teachers' names in the scripts, and they were like, these are genius. I'm like, it's SNL. So you would just rewrite, basically transcribe a sketch from SNL and just... Yeah, like the SNL record, you know, like Professor Backwards died in his apartment yesterday. Neighbors reportedly ignored his cries of pleh, pleh, right? That <laughs> was that was, from Weekend Update? Yeah, that was from Weekend Update on the record. So I took anything that was on the record and I switched it around to put the teacher's name. Like there was a real flat teacher, like who looked like a prepubescent boy. And it was like, Mrs. Barron, more on that story as it develops. And by the way, but you never credited them? It was just like by Roseanne O'Donnell? Well, they, you didn't like get credit for writing skits in this show. You know, it was like the seniors put it on and I was just lucky. They had asked me to do it when I was younger. And then I got to do it when I was a senior, too. And I did Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana. Of course. Did you wear a wig? Uh, no, I had a perm at the time. Oh. It was, the, yeah, it was, I had no choice but to do Rosanna, Dana. <laughs> With that horrific hairstyle. Okay, so now, who was your best friend throughout high school? Did you have one best friend or a bunch of best friends? Two, Jackie and Jeannie. 
Oh, the ones that were always on your show. Was it? Yeah. Was it Asha? Oh, my God. So those really were your best friends. They're my best friends. Since uh, Jackie, I was three when I met her. And she lived right across the street diagonally. And her mother was a teacher. And she was very loving. And they had, like, serving dishes and placemats and all the things that I couldn't believe were available for home life. You know, I'd go over to her life and it was sort of like the Brady Bunch, you know, where there was enough stuff for caring for people. She had an electric knife. I remember an electric steak knife. There's no reason we couldn't have had an electric steak knife. It's just nobody ever took the time, you know, and then my father would grill the meat, take it, cut it in chunks Everybody would get a little chunk of meat. I wondered as a kid why I hated meat so much because it was cooked like the Irish uncaring way. (laughs) That's right. So it wasn't wasn't really that you were low on funds as a kid. It was more no one was really looking after the kids. Yeah. I mean, we weren't rich by any means. There are two parts of Comac and one, all the rich kids lived in Dix Hills and all the non-rich kids lived in Comac where Jeannie and Jackie and I lived. So it's not like we were poor, but, you know, we didn't get a new car when we needed a car, you know. It was not a poor life by any means, but like definitely a middle-class existence. But what you yearned for was the more caring parent that actually helped out the kids. And the household, that it appeared put together, that comfort was something big. Like they had air fresheners. I remember thinking, what a great thing, air fresheners, you know? Their house smelled like the model house when you would look at all the new houses on weekends, you know? It smelled like the model house and it looked like it. Would you go there always after school? Was that like your go-to? Always. Okay. I would eat dinner there. I would, she took me to get bras. She took me to get, uh, her mom taught me how to like cook a meal. My mother taught us each how to cook one meal before she died. And Bernice was, Jackie's mother was, you know, hell bent on me learning other ones so that I could cook more for my family, which I hated doing. We each had one night and I would do anything I could to get out of it. What was your signature meal? London broil with seven seas Viva Italian dressing on it. It's the 70s. <laughs> yeah. And you'd take a fork and marinate it in that overnight, and that was a big to-do. And, you know, sometimes I would borrow Jackie's mother's steak knife and slice it like that, and then I'd bring it back to Bernice. And she's still alive, Bernice. Oh, so she really was like your surrogate mom in a lot of ways. Without a doubt. Her and the school teacher, uh, my seventh grade math school teacher, Pat Maravell, who was like 27, a brand new teacher, Mm. kind of a hippie. And we became really close and her child's my godchild. And, uh, you know, I became family with her. She's the one I named the school after, the Maravell Arts Center. So you stayed in touch with her throughout high school? Yeah, oh yeah. She was like a mom to me, definitely. So were you the kind of kid, it sounds like, were you industrious and you knew what you were lacking and you got it? Or did these things just kind of fall into your lap? Did you go like, I need a mom figure, let me find one? Or did these things just keep happening luckily? I think it was kind of luckily. But, you know, when the void is so big, like in nature, like you see these animals that are adopted by, mm. it's kind of like that. The void was huge. It was crushing. It was like life altering. And that space attracted a lot of loving mothers, you know. Was there one teacher that was not supportive of you? Not that I was aware of. Amazing. Well, in in elementary school, by the time we were in high school, we were known as that family of orphans. Like, (laughs) you know, we were sort of known. There were a bunch of us and we were all kind of gregarious. Like my brother was, 
personality plus, and my other brother was senior class president, and I did all that stuff in high school too. And I think we were very active and known. And like my grandmother who lived with us my whole life, she died when I was in my first year of college. Mm. And so I was very surprised that all the teachers from high school came to her funeral because they remembered that we would take care of her and go, you know, Uh and that she was like a mother figure to these kids who already lost a mother. So I was surprised how many teachers showed up. Sounds like adults really took care of you. Yes, totally. And you didn't have a, you weren't like me. You didn't have a big sassy mouth. You didn't sass people back. I was so wanting the approval of the adults. I wanted to be like a good girl for the adults I didn't want to disappoint my teachers. I didn't want to I didn't want to ever have an adult go away. So I was pretty much like my friends used to say, you're such an ass kisser to my mother. And I was like, mm, sorry, but I couldn't bear my friends in their teenage years being mean to their mothers because I was so wanting to have a mother mm. and I didn't quite get what now I've seen my own children go through and is part of growing up. Rejecting and, the parents. Exactly. And I never could understand why my friends would do it. And I would always talk to the mother and tell them I understood that the kid was wrong, you know. (laughs) Jeannie was like, what did you say to my mother? I was like, well, I remember in high school once Jeannie's mother found her birth control and Jeannie said it was mine. (laughs) Which was hysterical. I was like the only one not having sex. And she said it was my birth control. Did Jeannie's mom confront you on it? Yeah, she asked. And I said, yeah, it is. Well, you know. No, I'm okay. I'm fine. I went and got the, med- you know, well, I didn't care. I was gay. I knew I was gay. You're a good friend to Jeannie for not ratting her out. No, we're like this still. Yeah, that's sweet. But now well, back to being gay. So were you dating boys in high school? Yes, but very rarely, like, you know, like not for a long time. Like I had friends who like Jackie had a boyfriend all the way through high school from 10th grade on through her senior year. Jeannie too. I didn't have that. Were they saying to you, why don't you have a boyfriend? No, and it wasn't a time of life where people would even really talk about being gay, which is so weird now to talk about how it was then. But it was like not even a conversation. Like we had this very, very butchy gym teacher, Nancy Hadlin, and there were twin girls the grade before us, and one of them was definitely gay. And there was a rumor going around when I was a senior that she was gay. And it was like the first time I had ever heard it used as an accusation about Mm. someone, you know? You weren't called like dyke, like that wasn't like a No, no, I was homecoming queen. I was prom queen. I was senior class president. I was in the musicals. I played every sport. I taught kids gymnastics at the elementary school. You taught kids gymnastics? Yes. Ow, my shoulder? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow, that's contrast. Me. <laughs> right. Like, I was 16, though. I would go after school and go back to my elementary school and teach tumbling to little five- and six-year-olds. And, you know, I was very active in school and getting my sense of self-esteem and adulation that kids don't realize they're getting from their parents, usually. And if you don't have parents giving you that, you look for it elsewhere. I was lucky that I found it in healthy, good ways, you know? Yeah, you didn't have the drug pushers giving you drugs. Exactly. So you didn't smoke and drink in high school? At all. In fact, I started smoking pot when I was 40. Okay, brava. Now I like it a lot. When I was a kid, I was too afraid, you know? I was afraid to get... 
high or, you know. Afraid what? Like something bad would happen. Like my nanny used to tell me, Art Linkletter's daughter jumped out the window. Oh, she went you know, crazy from LSD She went crazy from LSD, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you're saying that, yes, you were gay, but were you thinking, oh, one day I'll still marry a guy? Like, what were you thinking your life was going to be romantically? I wasn't really. I mean, I was so in love with this girl, Mary Rose, who was very smart, too, and very loving and kind of maternal. And she had a boyfriend, Augie But I was sort of in love with her. And that kind of continued into college, my freshman year. I was in love with this girl, Chris Now, I never had sex with Mary Rose or Chris but I was in love with them as much as you can be in love with a person, you know? And were you aware, like, were you hoping maybe one day something's going to happen? Like, what were you thinking was going to happen? I think with Chris I did. I hoped that maybe one day something was going to happen, and it never did. But the emotional part was so fulfilling, so needed by me and wanted, and I loved being that close to someone. So you guys were super close, but she didn't know that it went further than what she right. felt for I you. Right, I think that she did feel the same thing, but we just didn't know how to do it or what to do. Like we would lay in each other's bed in college and scratch each other's back. <laughs> you know, that game. Totally. Oh, totally no, did that. She's getting close <laughs> to what? Yeah. Yes. But that's it for all the freshman year. Oh man, I've been there. Okay. So what did you hope your life was going to be after high school? And what was your worst fear your life would be? Well, oddly, I always thought this would be my life. You knew you were going to be Famous. Yes. You knew it? Yes. Just not even based on anything? No, I was positive since I was little. I used to sign autographs when I was like five or six. Best wishes, Rosie O'Donnell. I kind of knew it. I don't know. I, I remember seeing Bette Midler at Planet Hollywood once with Sophie, and I wouldn't go over to her because I knew one day we would be friends, and it would be weird if she rejected me now, and then later I told her it was me, so I didn't go over. And you actually are friends? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's not even psychic. It's just some weird thing you had. It's like a prescient almost. Yeah. Like I could see that this was going to happen. So no fear. You weren't fearful that it wouldn't work out. I never allowed myself to be. I never like thought for a minute I need a plan B because I thought if I had a plan B, I would take it. And if this wasn't my life, I probably would have been a school teacher. And I would have been very happy to be a school teacher or maybe a daycare center, open a daycare center or, you know, something that I could do babies all day would make me very happy. Speaking of which, did you think, because I know you love children, did you think I love children, but I'm a lesbian, I'm never going to have children? No, I thought I'm going to adopt children. And I never, like a lot of my women friends have had a desire since they were young to be pregnant, to see what that feels like. And this teacher, Pat Maravell, I was there when she was going into labor and I saw it. I was 16 and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And um, I was like, I never want to be pregnant, but I knew I would have a lot of kids. So I knew I would adopt a lot of kids. Wow. It sounds like so many things were planned as a child. Is there some event in high school that you can say there was sort of a before and an after? There was a boy, George, who was very troubled and he was my age. And I remember he tried to burn down the school. And turns out later in life, he's in jail for murder. Uh, That was troubling. I remember that for sure. School was closed for a couple of days. It was during the summer, I believe. And I just remember really for me, for the first time being afraid of someone in a big, scary way, like that George would do that and could have killed himself and could have hurt somebody else. And I believe he went on to hurt somebody else. 
And uh, I remember this teacher that I loved, my photography teacher, Jim. I had him for the first part of the year. And in the second part of the year, he got fired because he asked a kid to do his negatives and the kid made a mistake and the guy grabbed his arm and like pretended to bite it, you know, like a joke. He was a great, great, great gay teacher. And I think it was just like, you know, yeah, yeah, right. And the kid didn't have a mark, but he told his parents and they Uh. got him fired for being gay, essentially, and quote unquote, biting or putting his mouth on oh, a child. Oh, right. And uh, oh. that was a big deal to me. Why? What did it make you feel? We never talked about the fact that I knew he was gay and he knew I was gay because I wasn't actively thinking the words gay mm-hmm. in high school because it was so not anywhere. I mean, it was still a time when, you know, Billie Jean King was going on TV to say that she was not gay and Martina, wow. remember? It was a weird time. 70s. Right, that kids today don't understand. When you try to explain to them, they're like, you were out in high school? I'm like, no one was out in high school. My friend, you know, Jack Plotnick, his brother was gay too. His brother thought he was going to have to marry Boy George because that was the only other gay person in the world. And that was the 80s. Wow. I mean, it wasn't around. It wasn't talked about. It really wasn't. Remember Love, Sydney? That show was on? Yes. It was on for like one week, and then they took it off because there was a picture of his dead former lover, not even mentioned, just a photo on the mantle, and he looked at it at the end like he was missing it, and boom, that's it, off the air. How does it make you feel that you're one of these people in the world, one of the few people that really changed it for kids today by being famous and gay? Yeah, you know, I get a lot of letters like that. I get a lot of posts like that, and it's always very touching, you know. I didn't imagine that that would ever be. I never imagined myself sort of coming out. I thought, you know, you're my age. When we grew up, it didn't seem like a viable way you could live and thrive and also have people know this. Right. You know, I remember seeing Ellen right after she had come out in a restaurant in L.A., and I thought, oh, my God, everybody here knows she's gay. Like, and uh, it was a panicking thought for me. And you're like in your late 30s by then. In my late 30s, right. Wearing, you know, dykey clothes like this. Never trying to transform into a more feminine version of myself. Kind of wearing men's suits on my show. Right. I mean, you know, I didn't really think of it. That was a man's tailor from man's suits. Yeah, your persona was literally your high school persona. Your persona was a show was sort of like a mannish acting woman, but just it's never spoken of, that you kind of recreated your high school on your show. Exactly. Well-liked, mm-hmm. very curious about everyone, liking wholesome kind of fun moments of, you know, like when something horrible happened to someone, I always wanted to drop a moment of grace on them if we could, like the super kids. Like that was the best moments. Like I love when I hear from one of those people it says I'm now a doctor uh. and thanks to, you know, Cheerios and remember we got everything sponsored. I felt like I was a hitman for the mob, you know. You can, In a uh, good way. <laughs> yes, but the mob was for everyone, for the goodness of everyone, right? I'll hold up your toy if you donate money to this thing. You, you know? always had that. And was it Listerine that sponsored? Yeah, that Listerine. Oh, with the smooching. It sounds like you probably never did, but did you ever get in trouble in high school? No. Of course, I can't. <laughs> we had total opposite childhoods. No, oh I never God. got in trouble. I was loved by the teachers. I was given, you know, special attention, I think. I mean, first of all, when you have a kid that's so wanting to please an adult, 
the adults usually like it because a lot of kids in high school are rebelling and they're, you know, like probably you or quick mouth and oh yeah, right. I never got in trouble, not once. But now you're, you know, you're sort of known as like tell it like it is, and you don't, you don't put up with it anymore. Where did that part? Was that part hidden down in high school, like telling off people and like not putting up with abuse? No, that was always there. Did you ever have to tell off a bully that was hurting someone else or something? Yes, like my brothers, both of my older brothers were not like your typical masculine men-men, right? My older brother is married to a woman and my other brother in between us is married to a man. But they weren't like rugged, you know? And this group of kids around the block wanted to have a fight with them and then Mm -hmm. I got in the fight with them instead of my brothers, because I knew my brothers couldn't fight. And then I had to fight for my little sister. So I was always kind of that. Like, I, I was the one who would walk in and say in the office at school, we all need to have lunch period the same time because we have to go home to take care of my Nana. And they would like be like, well, we can't do that. Well, you have to. And, you know, and they would. You know, we would come in late a lot because there was no one to wake us up. So then I said, you need to give us all first period free because we have to take care of my Nana in the morning, which we didn't take (laughs) care of her in the morning. We just couldn't wake up. But so, okay, so you always had a big mouth, but basically for things that were right. Yes, and for what I perceive as justice. Yes, (laughs) it's a good analysis. Okay, get ready for This or That, where my guest reveals which pop culture thing they loved and hated in high school. So, Rosie, this is called This or That, where I'm going to give you two different things, and you have to tell me which one was your thing. Okay. Were you uh, Barry Manilow or Neil Diamond? Both. Really? Yes, Neil Diamond, lonely looking sky, lonely sky, lonely looking sky. That was one of the ones my father would play when he was depressed or drunk. But yeah, we had Neil Diamond, big hit in the house, and Barry Manilow, even now. The song Even Now or Even Now You Still Love Him? Both. Wow. (laughs) Bravo. Um, Were you a Little House in the Prairie or a Walton's girl? Both. <laughs> oh, you have to pick one? I don't know. I guess I well, thought you Little w- House of the Prairie, I totally was in love with. Me and too. the dog and the crossing of the river and where's the dog and Pa and come on, that was something. And the Waltons, good night, Mary Ellen. Good night, John Boy. I mean, that was, I would say the Waltons probably a little bit of an edge. Carol Burnett's show or Saturday Night Live? Carol Burnett's show. <gasps> Even though you stole Saturday Night Live, all your sketches? Yes, but Carol Burnett was like it. And that it was a woman doing it. I mean, on SNL, you'd wait until you had Lorraine Newman, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin. Uh, you'd wait till they had a little skit. But Carol Burnett was all Carol Burnett. And boy, oh boy. Well, just on a side note, you had so many idols as a kid that you met. Besides Barbara, who was the one that you completely flipped out meeting? Well, Carol Burnett was one of the first ones. She had seen me do stand-up on something and called me into the lot, uh, 20th Century in the Valley. and she, Before the Rosie O'Donnell oh show. Oh, my God, yes. And wow. called me. I drove in, and I literally said, Rosie O'Donnell for Carol Burnett, thinking they were going to say, <laughs> that was not real, that email. or They said, yes, pull in right there. And I was like, oh, my God. And she came out of her meeting. She would meet with someone else, and then she walked right over to me, and she goes, well, hello, funny lady. What do you want to do with your life and career? Sit down. And she talked to me about my career (sighs) and what I wanted to do, and I remember driving home going, that was the freakiest thing in the world. And things like that kept happening to me, like little knobs of 
continue forward, continue forward, continue oh. forward. And Carol Burnett's was one of the biggest ones. Oh, my God. All right. Back to my little list. Hot stuff or bad girls? Bad girls. Beep, beep. <laughs> toot, toot. I hear you. Um, Barbara Streisand, pre-perm or post-perm? Well, pre-perm, she was the dreamiest of dreamies. Yeah. In What's Up, Doc, I don't think she's ever, ever looked better or for Pete's sake or Owl and the Pussycat. And the music pre-perm is amazing. Come on. Yeah. But then I'm used to her with the perm too. So I got to go pre-perm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Sorry, John Peters. Okay, it's time to find out how much my guest has changed or how much they have not. This is High School versus Now. So now is a section called High School versus Now, where we find out if you've changed since high school, which by the way, I think you have not. I'm going to give you a situation that could have happened in high school and could have happened now. You tell me the different reactions you would have had. You're in high school. You and Jeannie are trying out to star in They're Playing Our Song versus today, you and Bette Midler are competing to for a TV show called, um, you know, Rhoda, The Later Years. How would you feel, how would you feel competitive-wise, sabotage-wise, what? Oh, high school, I would have wanted that part more than anything in the world, and I would have tried to do whatever I could to get it. Meaning? Meaning kiss up to the teacher, to the director, you know, be just little Miss Goody Two-Shoes. But nowadays, I think if it was me and Bet, I would graciously say you should give it to Bette Midler. I'm never in competition with Bette Midler, not in my mind or not in any fantasy universe, but... I will tell you this, one of my first commercials I ever went to, auditions, I was sitting there waiting to go in with about 20 other people, and one of them was Ruth Buzzy. (gasps) And I could not believe that we were both going in for the same audition, Mm. and neither of us got it. But it was heartbreaking to me. And I never think there's any benefit in competing with the ones who you looked up to on the way up, you know, which is... The reason I left The View the second time. Yes, <laughs> or ma'am. was it the third? <laughs> Get back to you. Well, then what about, though, let's say an equal peer. Let's say it's you and Caroline Ray or you and Ellen up for the same role. Would you then get your old school competingness? No, it's like once you have had so much success, I think you realize, like, anything else is gratis for me. I mean, look at this life I get to live. I had this unbelievable happenstance of timing and where the country was and how old I was. And, you know, everything fell into place. And I've, you know, rode that wave for a very, very long time. And it's provided solace and comfort for my family and myself in ways that, you know, I'll never be able to repay. So whatever else I get now, I always feel is like gratis, you know. Brava. Okay, how about this? In high school, you have to get dressed up for homecoming versus you have to get dressed up for the Tony Awards red carpet. How would you feel then versus now? Then I would be borrowing an outfit from one of the neighbors, which is what I did for my prom and stuff like that. Who would do your makeup? Probably me. Oh. Yeah, just mascara, (laughs) a little lipstick. I don't know. It's funny, the first time I went to a big red carpet thing, I borrowed a dress from Roseanne Barr. Whoa. It was the Cable Ace Awards, like at the very beginning of my career, like... 83, maybe, 84, and she was out at a thing. I was there, and I said, I have nothing to wear to the Ace Awards tomorrow. She said, come on over in the morning. I have so many every size. Come on over. And would you be excited back in high school getting dressed up, or even then was it a splitting headache? No, I never liked getting dressed up. And it's not changed? No. If I, like, what I would like is to be, like, 
a size 10 in khakis and white like Katherine Hepburn the rest of my life. That's what I would love to have as my standard kind of go-to thing, mm -hmm. but it doesn't look that great on me. What about the Elaine Stritch look, the white long shirt and the tight, tight black tights? Yeah, you know. Try it. I think, I think the khakis need to be worked in there. Get back to me. Um, you walk into the girls' locker room and you hear Jeannie and Jackie talking shit about you in high school. And then you walk into Equinox and you hear Madonna and Shara saying you're a no talent. What's, <laughs> what, how would you feel then? I'm <laughs> just name dropping a rich I gym. would totally go right over to both groups and say, what the fuck? Come on. Weenie, Jackie, Cher, Mo. Oh, brother. We have to know bitches. Madonna's nickname. <laughs> okay, brava. I knew you haven't changed. It's time for Show and Tell, where my guests show me mementos from their high school years. Okay, so my final segment is called Show and Tell, where my guest brings reminiscences from her high school, mementos from her high school. Rosie lives in a brand new apartment, no mementos, so I've actually brought them to her. Excellent. So I belonged to something before there was Facebook called like classmates.com and I went on it and I repaid for it. I PayPal it in the cab on the way over and I looked up Comac High School South and they literally have a fully printed yearbook and I went through each page and I found your photos. That's so amazing. High school graduation photo. There I am. That's what are you wearing? very 80s. I blue dry my hair with a, uh, using the back of the Electrolux vacuum. Wait. We would put the, we literally, we didn't have a blow dryer. We put the hose from the vacuum in the back part of the vacuum and we would blow dry our hair with that. When did the dust come out? No. Uh, okay. It was a closed bag. Actually, it looks good. Thank you. By the way, the boy underneath you has the same hairstyle, so I don't know who's Yeah, I wonder gay, who that was. Not. Get back to me. Okay, now how about this? This is the G.O. show. What is this? Yes, I still remember the words. We had to sell um, cards for the local vendors that with a G.O. card, you could get five cents off of your French fries at McDonald's. So you'd buy this card, right? And so I took the Wizard of Oz and I, she wanted a G.O. N.E.M. said no. So she picked up Toto and she said, hey, dog, let's go. Just then, oh, oh, the next thing that you know, it started raining hail and sleet and snow. And then we did the whole thing about the G.O. card and what the G.O. card could get you if you followed the yellow brick road. How do you remember this if I'm just showing this to you for the first time this second? I honestly, I remember the whole thing. And is that you? That's me. By the way, I think the only dress I've ever seen you in my entire life. Yeah, long dress like that. Yes, I was Dorothy. Oh, you look a little Glinda-ish. It's a white dress, isn't it? Oh, maybe I was Glinda. You're right. I was Glinda. Yeah, that's Dorothy with the pigtails. Yeah, Mary Lynn. <laughs> that's right. She always got the good roles. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, this is Homecoming Queen. There's a picture of Homecoming Queen Roseanne O'Donnell. That's me. Making out with a boy? What's no, happening? Remember the girl I told you I was in oh. love with, Mary Rose? Yes. I went with her boyfriend, <gasps> Augie. Him? Yes, and he's the fireman. He's New York cute. City, yeah, very cute. But what's that picture? That's a slow dancing, me and Augie. You're like wrapped in his arms, man. Yeah, but we were not kissing. But were you doing it to make Mary Rose jealous? Oh, no, Mary Rose was the one said, Augie, you're going with Roseanne to the prom. She set the whole thing up so I could go to the prom. And when you were like wrapped in his arms, were you like, maybe I am into boys? Yes. You were? Augie was something. No, I know he's got it going on. Yeah, he was. But I also knew that I was in love with Mary Rose, his girlfriend. Wow, 
he's a cutie. Now, what about this drama society photo? Can you find yourself in it? Yes, I see myself up in the top near Carol. What are you wearing? I'm wearing a vest, I believe, which I thought made me look like an artist. I wanted to look like an artist. <laughs> totally, totally. So at the flea market, I got vests and there was a very skinny tie that came with it, matching the material on the inside of the vest. That was a look I had a lot in mm-hmm. high school. And I wondered if people knew I was gay. They did. They did. <laughs> now, this I'm looking at is My Fair Lady, and I do not see you in the cast. Were you in My Fair Lady? I was not in My Fair Lady. Why were you not the maid? It's time for bed, dear. I don't know what happened there. Oh, probably it was in direct conflict with, like, softball, and I had to choose softball or... Yeah, I would have made the same decision, too, to choose softball. Why would you possibly choose a sport over a show? Well, I was really good at baseball. I was really good at sports. So uh, there was all talk I was going to get, you know, a scholarship for volleyball or softball or... Did you try out for a scholarship for any of those? Yes, I went to a lot of scouting things for sports. And then I got an acting scholarship to Boston University. Where they said... The part of Rhoda Morgenstern has already been cast. That's so mean, man. Yeah, to like a 16 or 17-year-old kid, you shouldn't say that. Even though I ended up knowing her and loving her and, you know, what a weird kind of full circle there was. Yeah, but it was implying there's no room for you in the business. There was one role. Exactly. And it's been taken. Yeah. And did that teacher ever uh, see you when you became famous? No, but I used to taunt him when I had my own TV show. (gasps) He was still alive? Yes. Did he ever say, stop taunting me? Uh, Yes. (laughs) I used to say, Jim Spruill, thank you very much. Yeah. (laughs) That's the Rosie I know and love. It's almost the end of the episode, which means it's time for my two final questions. If you could finally tell something to someone from your high school that you've always wanted to say, what would it be? Oh, geez. I don't know. It would probably be the teachers. You know, I just want to say thanks for all the time they put in. Like it didn't go unnoticed, all the extra love and attention that all those teachers gave me through my whole year as a public school student, you know, my whole lifetime. So I would probably say that. That's good for teachers listening. It really, really makes a difference. And if 15-year-old Roseanne O'Donnell was listening right now, what would you say to her? If you know where you're going, keep going. She did, didn't she? She did. Yeah. She didn't really need your advice. No, (laughs) no. And, you know, a lot of people tell you you're never going to make it in this business, no matter who you are. And if you know that this is where you're supposed to be, you're not trying to muscle your way into it. It just fits in your cells. Then you keep going. Sometimes I used to tell kids when they'd say to me, what, what advice do you give me? I want to be an actor. I say, I think you should quit. They're like, what? And I'm like, Now, the kids who are going to make it are the ones who say, you're going to feel like such an idiot when I make it, you know? (laughs) But if my telling you to quit can make you quit now, then you don't have it in you. There are going to be a lot of people who tell you to quit. All right, bye, Rosie. See you on Broadway. See ya. Bye-bye. This episode of Seth Rudesky's Back to School was produced and engineered by Sarah Esikoff. Our theme music was written by Seth Rudetsky and sung by Seth Rudetsky and Maggie McDowell. Our band was Seth Rudetsky, Mark Schmied, Carrie Meads, and Jim Hirschman. This episode was mixed by James Billado. 
Seth Rudetsky's Back to School is a serious XM production and is executive produced by me, Seth Rudetsky, Brandon Getchis, and Maggie Van Dorn. 